Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. Today's film is Midnight Special, and uh, this is, well, it's one of the films I was looking forward to in an upcoming film podcast we did last year. Uh, The director is Jeff Nichols, who's done Mud and Take Shelter, and the cast really intrigued me at the time. They include Michael Shannon, Kirsten Dunst, Joel Edgerton, and Adam Driver. Uh, Just a heads up, we always do these podcasts with spoilers in mind, so if you haven't seen Midnight Special... Uh, please check it out before checking out the rest of this podcast. Lloyd, as soon as they're driving along at the beginning of this film and they kill the headlights and put on night vision, I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, I wish they cut to a shot of uh, the point of view of the um, of the uh, night vision the night goggles. Vision. Yeah, yeah. The, the green and stuff like that. I thought he was going to make that cut. He plays against expectation a lot, Jeff Nichols, I noticed that. Mm. And that's like a lot of people interpret that as it being cheap like because you didn't have the access to that shot it's the same sort of thing where you see the two guys from the ranch appear at the door and they say are you sarah whatever her last name tomlins or whatever uh, mother and they've got the guns and the tape and then you have to sort of fill in the blanks i find a lot of the time we're cutting away from a scene i would have really enjoyed seeing but i, um, I feel the same way do you think that's a creative decision or a budget decision well, the budget was less than $20 million, and I've got to think that some of that was special effects and some of that was paying these actors. So I feel like essentially it's an independent uh, superhero film like Chronicle, which we've also covered on the podcast. It's interesting how a low-budget movie nowadays can look like a massive sci-fi film. You know what I mean? Like a $20 million film you think back in the day, like with decent stars, or it's like a film noir. Not to put that down, but it wouldn't have like special effects or or anything like that. Like maybe a few puppets, maybe a smoke monster, but never anything of this scale. And I mean, the cast on this, like I said, it's what intrigued me initially. That's why I was drawn to this project. Adam Driver wasn't yet cast as Kylo Ren, so it was a nice get for them to get him in this. Absolutely. Just before he popped. I feel like Michael Shannon and the director worked together before, Take Shelter, but Kirsten Dunst was wasted in this. <laughs> oh, she was so underwritten. I was kind of hoping that they just left out her character completely and this would have been more of a father and son story mm. because she there, there was she just like I like Kirsten Dunst, like we did Melancholia. Um, and we we both think she's an absolutely phenomenal actress, very beautiful, very grand, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was like, oh, Kirsten Dunst is in this, you know. And I barely knew her at the end, you know that that very last shot where they both nod each other, the 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 son and the mother, they both nod to each other saying goodbye. It should have been the father and the and the son because I felt no emotion at that point. But it was a beautiful build up, great music, but she was just so underwritten. Actually, that entire last sequence of the film where the father-son nod to each other in the car and then she nods as well. I was like, why isn't anybody saying anything? (laughs) Like, why doesn't someone say I love you or goodbye or thank you or, you know, uh, 
I felt like it was uh, not meeting expectations. Look, um, Joel Edgerton's doing amazing. Australian oh, I, th- actor. I thought he was fantastic in this, and that that was a big element of this film, the buddy aspect. Like yep. he's just his loyal friend that's that's helping out a father and his son, and I really liked his character. Here's the thing for me. Uh, well, he was great in Warrior, which we've also covered. But Joel Edgerton, for me, I felt like Lucas, the character he was playing, should have been either like a brother or a cousin or had more of a bond than a childhood friend. Because it made me ask so many questions about Lucas's life. I realise he's a state trooper, we know that, but, like, does he have friends? Does he have a wife? No family? Like, he was just sitting there ready to pick up this cause. You know, I don't know his backstory at all. Whereas if they had some kind of um, blood link, like cousins or whatever, then I would be like, all right, that's why he's helping. Yeah, that's a very good point, yeah. Oh, I like the buddy aspect of it, though. Like, they're good friends, and it's just great to see such loyalty um, in a film, I guess. But, yeah, you're right. He's, because they didn't reveal much of any backstory in this film, It's hard. you're constantly at the back of your mind going, why are you going this far with the whole thing? Yeah, You know what I felt was also really underwritten was the cult subplot. Yeah, uh, I would have really Yeah, the ranch. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that. There were great moments, like especially at the climax where um, they kidnap the kid, those two zealots, and like a guy takes a gunshot to the stomach and he keeps going, like he's really possessed with this order. And I just want to see more of that. And there were these eerie meetings with higher up people from the ranch, and there was like dialogue delivered then. It just felt like there was uh, uh, so much more deeper aspects to those scenes, but we just never saw it. Like it just never. Um, there was there wasn't any anything else revealed like that's all there was you know i was just like oh, i would have liked to see a little bit more of that and look i'm i'm happy enough to fill in the blanks you know like some sometimes as a viewer you can fill in the blanks you don't, you don't have to dumb down a film for the audience that's fine but the ranch storyline did just drop off they sort of they set up this like no country for old men storytelling where everybody's in pursuit of each other i suppose there's three parties all in pursuit and um just quickly on the joel edgerton thing how he was underwritten and uh kirsten dunce's sarah was underwritten when they meet each other she's never met him before and we could have had like an unspoken backstory if they did know each other i realize he didn't have to be from the ranch but the fact that they've never met is just like they never say anything sort of to each other oh you're not from the ranch you were a state trooper that's about it they don't bond or anything as well there was that little moment where he's getting a car radio out of the car or fixing the car and they have a brief conversation which was fantastic i guess just more of that i needed look i'm kind of fascinated by cults um i've read a couple of books but they always have this kind of sister wives braid haircut and this is always how they're uh displayed you know uh, on tvs and and in film and you know with um big love and shows like that just uh this braided haircut as soon as i saw kirsten dunst i knew she used to be at the cult but i don't know why she'd still have that haircut having left the cult um i suppose it's just a comfort thing or like uh, uh you know most common hairstyle she knew i don't know i, I thought the uh, casting like just the setup of the ranch was great when all the fbi 
um, came in and they were like, oh, we're taking, we're, we need to question everybody here. I don't know. It just generated ideas of Waco or um, that Kevin Smith movie we reviewed. Yeah, um, Red State. Red State. It just evokes so much of that, like how the preacher is coming out and he's saying these numbers. And then when everyone was interviewed, there were like these zealots. Um, and then that, uh, you know, it's that was it, I think. that After that interview, that that's all we were left with, that whole the ranch, and we're just left to w- I wonder how did Kirsten, Gr- Kirsten Dunst have a relationship with her husband, um, uh, Michael Shannon, throughout the ranch, you know? Like, I like the idea of piecing things together, and the strategy that uh, Jeff Nichols employs here is to give as little information as possible, treat the audience very intelligently, but at at the same time, it pushes me away, that strategy. And in the end, I just felt distant with everyone. Like they were having all these conversations about backstory that I I never knew, I never saw, I don't know much about. And then uh, in the end, I just felt distant, really distant with everything and the whole film. So it didn't have a strong emotional connection for me. The thing is, too, just on that, um, Alton Meyer, who's the boy, uh, was raised for two years by the main preacher guy, who I think is played by Sam Shepard. And at that time, Michael Shannon's character, Roy, stood back and let somebody else raise his son. That would have been really interesting to see, maybe in a flashback or something. Yeah, because he doesn't know what his son is or what what his son's doing. So he's just taking a step back going, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe he is the Messiah. Well, we we don't know. Exactly. We don't know if the whole time he was trying to get him back or campaigning for his release or anything as well. At some point... Sarah, Kirsten Dunst's character, abandoned her son and I would have liked to have known more about why if she was afraid of his power or if she was, you know... Do you think the relationship between them have has disintegrated or do you think they still love each other or is it a loveless relationship? Um, well, they seem to definitely care about each other. There's a lot of kind of hugs as a family and whatnot. I think they're bonded because of the boy, but I feel like they couldn't be together or it wouldn't have worked at the ranch. Maybe that's why she left, but we don't know. And another scene that I'm really confused about is when that guy, they go to a guy's house, like it's in the opening act, and he's helping them out, and then they wake up and they find him looking into the eyes of his of his son. And I don't know, he's looking at his eyes and the son's screaming or something weird, and the whole house is breaking up. And then he hits him over the head with a candelabra, I think, a candle holder. And, um, at, and then he says... Um, you, you shouldn't have looked and he goes I needed to go back there and he yeah. takes his gun out does he shoot him you're saying does Michael Shannon shoot that guy looking at his, looking that was looking into his son's eyes no because later on the two guys from the ranch talk to him okay okay so he survives that they leave him alone the only person who they kill I think is the state trooper who yeah but uh, he had a bulletproof vest so he was just unconscious. Yeah, he goes. Um, he goes. Oh, he had a bulletproof vest. Did you know that, or something like that? And then the dialogue yeah. went away. Yeah, he had to catch it very carefully. Those two guys from the ranch. I really thought they were going to have a bigger story, but the problem is, is the guys on the ranch. They all believe that the world is ending on the sixth of March or whatever it is, which is four days away, and then they send those two to get the boy back. But don't you think, because they're saying they have to be with the boy, Alton Meyer, otherwise they won't be saved. Don't you think if they really believe that and they've been brainwashed or they whatever, have that faith, don't you think they're going to send more people to get him or try and find him or like there's going to be more actions? I felt like their whole 
storyline just dropped off, you know, and you just sort of don't get a conclusive ending. Like, they weren't in the car anymore. As they drive past, they see the bloodied car where the boy would have been. They've all been taken by the NSA or the FBI. And that's it. We just fill in the blanks ourselves. Yeah, that's right. They should have had their whole entire cult after them like they're fighting like an army like are they part of the cult are they part of the cult who's that you know (laughs) Mm. this movie's been compared to a lot of other movies (laughs) one for me is et and it's very much like the boy is the alien and they want to get him to the coordinates where if you will the mothership will pick him up and the bit that for me kind of uh really i guess grinds my gears is when the boy is in the car with them and he says he can help them you know he basically says there's the fewest people at this roadblock to the left so the the dad says sure we'll go that way and their plan is then to charge the roadblock (laughs) which is all spikes and and barbed wire and wood and they smash right into it and for me i thought he was going to use some power to help them there push the roadblock aside or like et they could have flown flown over it just over just enough just pick up the car just enough as they pick up speed you know what about just blind the soldiers with his bright light or something that would have worked sure but like like gandalf the only power that gandalf ever wielded in lord of the rings the bright light so for me then they just crash through that's their plan they still you know gonna get shot at or whatever and then they are able to drive up the road, stop, and then have the Sarah and the boy get out and have that long goodbye kind of moment and then start driving again without those trained soldiers catching them yet. You know, that for me, I was like, I don't know if I can buy this. And, and the, also the um, soldiers had air support, so the helicopter would have seen that car coming a long time ago. Oh, by the way, there's a helicopter coming up on Roadblock 3 or something like that. Like, I was just a bit confused with the geography of, of that situation. And though the boy did show he could control cars, like he unlocked a car and turned it on, maybe he can divert the helicopters. Like, I'm okay with that. Um, the, the design of the kid was really dumb as well like with the goggles i thought it just looked like like i know the film is low budget but it just cheapened the film a lot more like if i saw that on a poster i'd just be like what like the kid's got goggles what he swim he's a swimmer you know or something like that you know i, I just didn't like that how he had to wear goggles i would have i don't know how else you would have designed around that maybe sunglasses or just, just something just the goggles just looked a bit too thrown together sort of thing well, they were ineffective as well. <laughs> like sunglasses might have been more effective. The biggest elephant in the room for me, and I'm just going to get this out of the way. I, I just want to say overall, um, this film uh, had too much of Starman in it. Like I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of John Carpenter's Starman. And uh, it's actually one of my favorite movies of all time. And Jeff Nichols has actually admitted that this movie is usually inspired by Starman and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And he might have said E.T. as well. I'm not sure. But you can feel Starman all throughout it, especially with the music. And John Carpenter didn't actually make the music to Starman, funny enough, by a guy called Jack Nietzsche, I think. Beautiful score to Starman. And just the whole climactic moment where it builds up and they say goodbye is just so much more beautiful in Starman that the film focuses on a relationship between two people that they love each other and it was just such a huge missed opportunity here 
Like, I understand where um, Jeff Nichols is coming, but I really wish this was just focused on a father and son story. Like, the father really loves the son, he's looking out for him. By having Kirsten Dunst in there, just crowded it a little bit too much. And, um, yeah, but I did I did like Joel Edgerton. Like, I, I would have kept him in there, but just right out Kirsten Dunst. Nothing against Kirsten Dunst, she just wasn't fleshed out enough. See, when I was looking forward to this movie... If it felt more like Looper to me. Oh, yeah. You know, it had that kind of uh, this boy has power kind of element, you know. And as well, I thought this kind of cast, you wouldn't all attach yourselves to this project unless it was good. You know, so I sort of I just had belief, like blind belief in it. But there are a lot of problems. It's not a huge mess. There's just not enough in it, maybe. Um, like... For example, you know those two ranch guys who, like you said, they found them at the hotel uh, and were able to, you know, uh, handcuff sort of them all with those clear, I don't know what you even call it, like um, those ties. Yeah, it's interesting how they went for that considering they shot at them. You know, like um, Joel Edgerton. Execute them. Yeah, yeah, Joel Edgerton was ready to kill them and so was Michael Shannon. Um, and those guys, like, oh, despite taking one of them taking a bullet, they went ahead and just went, oh, we'll just tie them up. We won't execute them. We're not killers. But Joel Edgerton's a killer. <laughs> That's right. And my question is, how did the ranch guys find them at that motel? Because for me, they were following leads. They found the mother who led them to Sarah's residence. At Sarah's residence, they found the address of the guy whose van they took. You know, so then they went there and he was able to tell them the coordinates of where they would eventually be going. But they were in a different car again and they were at a random motel. So I didn't understand how they like it was convenient that they found them so that they could lose the boy and then lose him to the like it felt just so they could have a conversation between Adam Driver and the boy. Like that was all building to that. What do you think um, of that scene? Oh, the scene in the white room? Yeah. Look, it was very intriguing. Adam Driver, um, he's funny. Like, this, yeah. it's the only humor in the entire film. Yeah, well, he had a few jokes. Yeah, the bit where he says, uh, you know, you wouldn't mind punching me in the face, would you? <laughs> for me, the audience no, never laughed. Never mind. <laughs> the audience laughed for me when, um, when the boy says to Lucas, Joel Edgerton, you want to sit down or something? And he kind of nods, like just kind of dumbfounded he nodded and then the audience really laughed at that so you know he was sort of looked uh, looked at by my audience as a bit of a buffoon as well i suppose for me as well that white room how did they leave the facility after they finished having that talk i have no idea we just have to piece it together yeah i mean which is frustrating <laughs> everyone else would have been two rooms away because they were all asked to leave that room then they're two rooms away and then they walk out of the first room everybody's there and they're like where are you guys going what's up oh yeah we were just going back to to meet his parents okay well no (laughs) you're staying (laughs) right here man (laughs) yeah we'll get back in your white room what do you what do you think of the design of that world uh, that finally revealed itself where the boy was running to the first thing i thought of was Tomorrowland. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's brought that comparison in reviews. I haven't seen Tomorrowland. I've seen the trailer and it looked just like it. But the other thing was, as things were rotating around, I thought they were using like solar power and um, 
some kind of like wind power, like wind farms and stuff. I thought there was an interesting architectural design yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. I was wondering, like, the whole world is right there. They've built it in kind of, like, there's, like, uh, what do you call them? Podium-like sticks keeping the world above the world that they're in. Could you still kind of walk into those sticks that are on Earth level, I suppose? I'm just, I was wondering about the kind of technical elements of it. And are they superior? Like, obviously... Like, if the boy is an indication of their abilities, they've obviously got some superior sort of power. Yeah, I was. I found it interesting when he said he wasn't the saviour and that he wasn't a weapon, which means he's not here to rescue them, he's not good for them, but he's also not here to hurt them and he's not bad for them. So they seem to be indifferent or, like, somewhere in between. They're just watching, but they're not even interfering or anything. It kind of makes them more like angels, I suppose, than anything. But you don't even get to sort of see any of them. They're just kind of light and energy. What do you think, when that guy was looking at the sun into the eyes, where do you think he was looking? Like, he was looking into that world? or like, Right at the end? Yeah, you know? well, uh, when the, the guy got hit over the head with the candlestick... Why? Why were they so in so infatuated to look into the kids' eyes? And I got it evokes such an, a a reaction to me looking at that, like he was, you know, doing something naughty to the kid off screen, and the father acted so aggressively, like it was, you know, just gave me an awful reaction. But what were they so infatuated with the boy? Was he showing them a world within his eyes? Like why did they have to keep going back? I feel like, well, they're, they're all worshipping him yeah. um, as a god. And when he's spoken in tongues or he's linked eyes with them, if you will, uh, they've seen something or heard something that it's like changed them and made them believe. So I imagine it's like a drug and like restores their faith, if you will. Kind of imagined like regardless of what he's showing them it's something they never would see like a bliss and like an amazingness and a whatever and i suppose it's knowledge and stuff as well it's whatever it is it's it overwhelms him so uh, he has to like see it again you know sure um and obviously joel edgerton has seen that maybe because he goes oh something about those eyes and he's really committed to not only his friend but to helping the kid like he really believes in whatever the messages or whatever will happen that's right yeah he's on board with the scenario now but i still think we could have had a better relationship between roy and lucas if they were related their backstory was flimsy to me like people move away you know it happens what about the fact that the kid when they're in the car can sense people coming yeah Yeah. he sensed the drone above and the and the um satellite that was looking at them yeah he could sort of sense danger and he's like they're coming you know we're gonna get out of here but he didn't sense the people from the ranch at all like when they were outside the hotel door he didn't know at all that was gonna <laughs> that's happen that's a great point though, yeah even though he has visions you know um so that that frustrated me as well like it all felt very convenient that they found them at the motel the people from the ranch and the fact that then they kidnapped and you know delivered him basically to the nsa that whole sequence annoyed me but the real like the barricade annoyed me more <laughs> the special effects what do you think of that do you think it was a bit looked a bit cheap at places 
the the places that looked cheap for me was from space. Yes, absolutely. When that force field thing came over the yeah. world, yeah. I was and just I mean, like, oh, that looks pretty bad. <laughs> they obviously want to show us scale. Yeah. So they're showing us the scale, but it's uh, still... Just, it just not any- have it. Like, not have it, because a lot of it looked pretty good. Like, I liked when the satellite burnt up and was coming at the ga- a service station. That looked pretty good. Some of the explosions when the impact hit the ground looked pretty bad. But, um, you know, just uh, just have it more on a ground level. You don't have to shoot out for the long shot if you can't afford it. Like, if you can't afford to make that work, just, just don't bother having it. We get the idea. The other thing that uh, didn't work for me was when it was so dark. Yeah. Um, like, me, particularly when they run away, they split up. They run into the a cave. Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah. yeah. Because and, this yeah. is shot in film, and people have praised... Uh, uh, Jeff Nichols for sticking with 35 mil, but uh, I don't know. Some of this just looked too dark and murky for me. It wasn't not beautiful, I don't think. I mean, it's just not practical. You sort of can't like you're squinting to see the characters in the film. It's, it makes it less enjoyable, takes you out of it. But then he was like sleeping all day, and they're traveling at night and stuff, right? I mean, they sort of they kept him awake at night. Well, why cardboard the window? Uh, too much brightness i guess he didn't react well with the sun but then he, he's he able wants to, to see the sun but he's able to make it a whole day like it never sets is that right the sun is still up like i guess he well, i don't know i, I sort of he, lost it a bit there <laughs> it feels like he's getting weaker because he's not seeing the sun because then when he does see the sun he's completely like rejuvenated right yeah I can't explain it all. Um, unfortunately, I've, I've just seen it today. Well, the director has said it's about fatherhood. So he became a father, and I, I also heard him talking on an interview and saying that he thinks about things for two years before he starts writing them, which, I mean, it feels like a long time to hold on to a story as well. I don't know. Uh, I find Jeff Nichols' films kind of fascinating, so... Um, he's definitely well. got talent um and the the quality of the craftsmanship is there definitely like he's got that down uh, i i just uh, it, it's just too much of star man sorry to keep bringing that up in, in this film like the 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 whole beat of this film just followed that so much even to the point where one of the guys on the other team like the government agency captures actually captures the person that they're after and then lets him go that's exactly off star man and the whole beat of how they're saying goodbye to each other i just saw starman i'm going well this was done a lot better in starman you know so if you're listening to this and you haven't seen starman or you have rewatch it it's a vastly superior film by the way i heard they're remaking starman which i'm uh, two ways about <laughs> so let's just talk about the end of uh, midnight special at the very end of this they're in custody um Sarah's on the run. She finally cuts off that braid that all cults make you have. And um, Roy and Paul are are arrested. I mean, it shows Paul, he finally gets to talk... Sorry, uh, Lucas uh, finally gets to talk to Paul. So uh, Joel Edgerton's character's in custody and Paul, who's Adam Driver's character, comes in to talk to him, uh, which gives you the impression that they're going to pretend not to know each other. And uh, that maybe he's going to, in some way, help them get out of this situation. But um, what did you make of Michael Shannon's character, Roy, at the very end of the film? He's got electrodes on his head. Did you notice something in the, at the very end before the credits? No. Neither did I, 
but I've since read about it. And I don't know how subtle it was, because obviously neither of us picked it up, but at the end there's a glimmer in his eyes, like they shine a little bit or something. And people are saying that's to imply that he has power within him. Or maybe that he's seeing the world that his son is in, you know. For me, I think it's going some way to explain how two normal human people had this kind of superior being of a son. You know, because genetically, he's either a mutation, you know. It seems impossible that the two of them have have had this without having something in themselves, you know, to pass along. So I suppose they're trying to make Roy, Michael Shannon's character, you know, they're implying that he also has this ability. I think I know the scene you're talking about, but there was that moment in the cave, uh, after the cave sequence when they split up, that he said he did see the world for only a brief few seconds. And I, I don't know, maybe he's just seeing it again. Um, briefly, sure. yeah. Or uh, just remembering it. Or, ju- or just remembering it, yeah. But what about the electrodes? Are they just testing him to see if he's powerful, you think? Oh, that's a good point. Didn't even think of that. Well, I didn't. I'll, I'll I didn't, have to see it again. <laughs> I don't have. I don't have the answer. I'm not in a rush to see this again. That's no. my problem. <laughs> um, it wasn't as special as it could have been. M- maybe they weren't electrodes. Maybe they were um, band aids because he did get into a car accident. That's true. Sure. I guess we just don't have the answers right now, and and a lot of that's to do with the fact that the film doesn't give you the answers. I mean, uh, it, every now and then you'll watch a film where there's sort of a plausible amount. Uh, just quickly, I, I will do a little spoiler warning here for Martha Marcy May Marlene. Like at the end of that film, also involving a cult, the main character is in the back of a car, like a taxi, and as she's driving away, another car starts to follow her. And you can either believe that that's the cult and that they found her again, or that she's just being paranoid, you know. And giving us a couple of options like that is great. So I guess here, either he's special and has abilities or he isn't and we we have to pick uh yeah it's so unfortunate that obviously joel edgerton's going to be locked up for good because he shot a, he shot a state trooper uh and uh i guess uh, um kirsten dunce is on the run uh, as best as possible and then he's yeah it's just a sad ending for all them three but they have completed their goal like um i guess the you know they're complete inside but the rest of their lives are you know they're either on the run or going to be incarcerated it's a sad ending for them it's not a happy tale really um and if that's how he sort of perceives fatherhood i'm not sure how things are going with him Uh, there may have been an issue yeah there's a sense of sacrifice though for your children i guess yeah look i can relate but it's obviously an extreme version of sacrifice here um I guess he loses custody of his child, basically, in a way, to the cult, and then he's rescuing him, and he's doing anything. He he does say at one point, he's more important, you know? Like, yeah. And look, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm glad I saw it, and um, it's nice to kind of wedge that in between other superhero films. You know, we've seen Civil War, and next we're going to see X-Men Apocalypse, Lloyd. That's going to be awesome. <laughs> Um, we've already, I think we've talked about this, but we both enjoyed X-Men when we were younger. Oh, yeah, we were huge, huge fans. I had so many figurines, read the comics, was a huge fan of the TV series. 
Um, yeah. yeah, it's probably the comic book I read the most when I was young. X-Men, The Phantom, and Batman, I guess. I don't know about you, Dave. Yeah, X-Men was up there, and then all the spin-offs like X-Force and <laughs> yeah. X-Factor and... Yeah, um, X-Men, and Wolverine, Spider-Man, you know. <laughs> yeah, look, Marvel. It's been heavily Marvel for me. You know, Batman and Superman was secondary because I suppose Batman and Superman had films. That's how I knew them. Yeah, but. yeah, no, same. Like the Batman movies just enchanted me and so did the Superman movies. But I think in comic books I read a fair bit of Superman and Batman, but not as much as X-Men. Like I was so into X-Men and I can't wait to see Apocalypse on the big screen. That's That's what I'm so enthusiastic about. Well, yeah, he's my favourite ne- villain. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be the next one from us at Podme if you can. Obviously, uh, Midnight Special was a film we were looking forward to, you know, an upcoming film. Drop us a line on Facebook, you know, tweet at us, hashtag PMIYC, and um, let us know what film you're looking forward to, what upcoming film you think we should review. And uh, next time on the program, we've got X-Men Apocalypse. We'll talk to you then, Lloyd. Hit it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for listening. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod me if you can. Movie reviews. 